welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today, I have Connie Bramer on. Connie, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm great. Did I butcher your name? I didn't even ask you. Nope, perfect. Oh my God. You have some... So uh, one thing you talk about on all your websites is laughter. So I'm guessing that we're probably going to laugh a lot. You have two things. One is called the humor of it all. And it's a WordPress blog, which I love. Thank you. Jump in and tell me a little bit about that first. And then we can go and you can jump into um, your other website and your book also whenever you want or I'll ask. Okay. Yeah. Well, a lot of odd things strike me as funny, Jen. Like I'll be just all of a sudden cracking up over some stupid thing. So I, like my friend told me, we were out getting wine and she said, my lizard is constipated. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Seriously? Your lizard is, con- is constipated? So we talked about that, right? How she had to go to the vet, get the, you know, whatever. I don't have a lizard. Her lizard even like gets on the back of her dog and like sits and watch TV. It's like the craziest thing. All right. But so it got me thinking about how people are constipated emotionally and they don't say what they mean and mean what they say. So Mm -hmm. I wrote an article about that. I write articles about all my dating stories. Oh my God. That's because I get into that one. Yeah. Cause I have some good ones, like seriously messed up stuff. So I write about that. So the so what happened is I ended up getting picked up by Biz Catalyst 360 for one of the articles I wrote about, and I wrote it in January. I was in Florida. Okay. And I basically wrote it about how I was sitting on the beach. I was getting ready to take my cover up and I'm like, holy shit, like people are looking at me, right? You know how you feel like really self-conscious in a bathing suit? I mean, some people yeah. do. I, I, I'm I, naked right on the podcast, I, so I mean, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I do understand. Right. So I wrote, I wrote this article and in a nice way, I basically said, you know, nobody gives a shit what you look like on the beach. Like no one is honing in and saying, oh, look at the girl from New York, you know, taking off her, her, her cover up. No one was saying that. So I wrote this article about it and kind of wrote about how with my breast cancer, Women who've had breast cancer and reconstructive surgery or just surgeries, you know, plain old surgeries have a lot of, I don't want to say self-esteem issues because that's not the right word, but like I'm self-conscious a lot of how my breasts look. Like they're not perfect. But then I'm saying to myself, what perfect woman has perfect boobs anyway? Right. You know what I mean? So I wrote this article and I sent it to Kat Cannabis, who I know and was working with. And she sent it on to Biz Catalyst 360, Dennis Patoko, and his magazine is incredible called bizcatalyst360.com. There are many columnists, feature contributors. The topics range from, you know, strategy at work, dealing with kids. Like there's, it's just everything across the board. So I've been writing articles and the articles that you see in the humor of it all, he picks up and publishes on bizcatalyst360. How awesome. So that's been an absolutely wonderful experience because I like to write and the, you know, the weird thing about me is I write very quickly. Like I'll get an idea in my head Mm -hmm. and I'm going to just write it. And I write my articles in like 10 minutes. Like I don't, I don't say, Oh, I got to write something. Like I was the kid in college who would write a 35 page term paper the day before it was due. Like with like, like, that's, I did, I did that all the time. I mean, that one's harder all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was much harder, but I'm that kind of person. So when I had to write the chapter for chaos to clarity, mm-hmm. I literally wrote it in like 15 minutes. And then I'm like, you know what? I need to take a nap. So I went and took a nap to think of some more things to say, added a couple more things, sent that over to Kat and Kat sent it back. She said, love it. And I had written rough, 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 rough draft. And she goes, love it. She made a couple of changes. I made a couple of changes back and boom, it was done. Yeah. And in talking to some people, they're, they're saying, oh, you know, it took me weeks to write this article I was working on. And I'm like, no, not I'm the same way. I wrote my book in two months, the entire thing. Yeah. It was done in two months, yeah. start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I like the blog post. Um, is it hard for you to come up with the idea or when the idea comes up, you just run with it? Because sometimes I'm like, I need a list of ideas and then I percolate. Well, I kind of get a lot of it from my job. So today I'm at a dealership because I work in the car industry for my job and I was with a sales manager 
and she's like, oh, I forgot. I don't have your phone number in my phone. So she puts it in. She writes the name of my company and then writes HBIC next to it. And I go, what is that? And she goes, head bitch in charge. And I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. And I said, that's a great title for an article. Yep. So you'll have to look out for that one. I'm probably going to write it over the weekend. Head bitch in charge. I like so that So you basically just are really hyper aware of anything that people say. Yeah. Or do, and you just, and that's it. Okay, I'm gonna have to remember that because my biggest thing is I think I'm gonna remember and I don't. Or once I have the idea, the writing's easy, but sometimes mm -hmm. the idea takes me a while. Well, I just went to Portugal to celebrate my 50th birthday. <gasps> we were both born, were you, born, you were born in 69. I was. I was born in 70. Well, I'm an old lady now, Jen. <laughs> so I'm in Lisbon with my friend Ellen. And ironically, my friend Ellen and I, she used to babysit for me when I was a little kid. Okay. And when my mom died 23 years ago from breast cancer, Ellen really stepped in and has been there for me. So when I finished my chemotherapy, she and I took a trip to Ireland and Scotland. Had the best time. So she said, we got to take another trip. So we decided to go to Portugal because she has two friends that just retired there. We had the best time. Oh my God. And I drank, I drank, I drank lots of wine, but it was very good. And then I said to her, we're sitting on a veranda in Lisbon. And I said, 2020, I'm going to write my next book. Oh, so, and, and I'm probably going to write about all my dating stories because there are many and i think that the title i, I was had, just gonna ask you the title okay go okay save the crazy for after the appetizers all right yeah so i gotta work on that okay okay no this is exciting yeah. okay i'm writing a uh, second book too so you your one book that you co-authored was chaos clarity yep this one and then the other one okay wait go ahead that, Yay, there that is this book is amazing yeah. It has 30 different authors in it and every story, like I, I told someone about it and I told a lot of people about it because it's such a great book, but it's, um, it's like you read about people's struggles and how they are triumphant over their struggle and realize that we each have something in common with the people in this book. Like yep. it's very relatable. So I wrote, I wrote a chapter in that book. I wrote a chapter in a book called the she shift. I don't know okay. if you know, Melissa Clark. So I don't have that book handy on me, but, and then this is my book that started my whole foundation. It's called how Connie got her rack back. It's my okay. this is comical. Great. It's my comical spin on the cancer journey. Cause I got a lot of weird stories from that too. So your other website, you have the blog and then your other red, red website is G Y R B, which is get your rack back. Right. Org. Yeah. And this was your breast cancer story and where you found humor. So now we can just right. jump in wherever you want. Well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008 and just before Thanksgiving, right after my 39th birthday, my kids were seven and eight at the time and I had just gotten divorced and okay, the divorce God. came first. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I always say in April, 2008, <clears throat> I had a 180 pound hemorrhoid removed. Yes. yes I read that. <laughs> That's what I have to say. But anyway, in, in November of 2008, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. December, I had bilateral mastectomies. Wow. And I've had a lot of surgeries. Like people would say, what's up with that? But I had 13 reconstructive surgeries or, or 13 breast cancer related surgeries. So here's a good story for you. Okay. So it was like, I think it was February of 2009. And it was just before I started chemo. And I was just going to get my wig, right? Because I had to find a wig that was like me. My daughter said, oh, get pink. And my son's like, I want green. I said, well, hey, guess what? I got to go to school and go to your function. So they're like, just go with Bond, mom. It'll look like you. So I went and got a wig. And then my, my breast surgeon had said to me, you know, your breast looks a little hot today. Just check on it. Like, because it was kind of getting red. And he said, it just could be from me filling it. Cause you go in every, for people who don't know how a breast cancer works. We don't know. Tell us. Okay. They mm -hmm. asked me literally like a thousand times if I wanted to have my reconstruction done when I had my surgery. And I kept saying to myself, I'm like, why the hell do they keep asking me this question over and over and over? I said, yes, like 10 times. 
Well, it turns out it's incredibly painful. So when you have your breast removed and you're gonna do reconstruction, they put in expanders. And an expander, you have to imagine like an implant completely deflated, okay. really yep. Yep. harder, harder plastic around the edge, like it's puckered. Okay, okay. so like like uh like you know those things that you can use to uh for Ziploc bags, like that thing. You know how yeah, it like cr it like crimps it or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like crimped mm. okay. around the edge, right? So what happens is they create a pocket between your chest wall, a okay. muscle, and underneath your muscle and between your chest wall. There's okay. like two, they create two pockets. Well, the pockets fill with fluid, even though like your bodily fluid, even though they're putting stuff in the expander. So I can remember my kids and I were in Walmart one day, Walmart shoppers. And we were um, going down the an aisle, and that expander moved in such a way that just like took my breath away because the the edge that was harder and and like sharp, it was like sharp. Yeah. It just and, and my kids were scared. I remember my daughter was like, "Mom," because I wasn't supposed to be moving the golf the golf cart, the, the shopping um, cart, the shopping cart. Yeah. But anyway, every week I would go and have saline put into these expanders to get to the size I wanted. And then one, one time I went and it was like kind of red. He's like, well, let's just see how it is. Well, then my boob got really red and I was sick. Well, it turned out I had a staph infection. <gasps> and my boyfriend at the time was like, what the hell did you like, you know, wipe your boob all over a gym floor? Like how the hell did you get staph <laughs> infection? I'm like, I don't know. So, so basically mm -hmm. my doctor said to me, and this is how my doctors were with me. I said, listen, I go, I'm going to get my wig. I, I'll come in like Monday and he, this is like Saturday morning. He goes, you get your ass up here right now when you have a friend bring you. So one of my friends, this is my surgeon texting me. He goes, get your ass up here right now. Good so I went up there. Yeah. I went up there with my friend, turns out staph infection headed out on Monday. So for months I was what I called the one titted wonder. So I had one boob. And it was the most awful thing trying to make myself look normal. And I was very yeah. fortunate at the time because I worked from home. So I did webinars, okay. but not, not with my face. There was no, there's no face, but I did webinars. And actually one time I was doing a webinar with a bunch of guys um, in Boston and I had to take all my medications and I accidentally had an Ambien on my tongue. And I, I was like, holy crap, I got the wrong stuff. So I take it out. And then I got on the, on the call. I go, well, guys, this could have been a really short call because <laughs> I just almost took an Ambien. But I was on so many medications. But anyway, I had to wear this horrible surgical bra. It's like a white bra that zips up. Yep. It's like the breast cancer staple, right? So I had gauze that I put in the right side so I would look like I had a boob. Yep. Well, one night, one evening after I had chemo, which I wasn't supposed to do, but a girl's got to do what she's got to do. I went out with one of my friends and had a couple of cosmopolitans. So we're sitting at this bar and I noticed this guy looking at me and we're like, what is this guy looking at? So I look over and then I look back at myself and the gauze had gone down like to my stomach area. So all of a sudden, like I had, I really had like one boob and I had a tight shirt on. I was like, oh my God. So I thought nothing of it. I just shoved it right back up there. The guy sitting right there <laughs> laughed about that. I, there's a lot of funny stories. I lost my wig in, the, in a tree. My brother came up when I was done with my chemo and he goes, let's go out. So we were going out in Saratoga Springs, New York, the, where the track is, the flat track. And we were on a side street and I was dressed in a cute little dress and heels. And I was thinking, oh, I look pretty fabulous. You know, I have my, mm -hmm. expander, I have my expanders in. Bald, completely bald. I had my wig on. And I ducked under this, we we're on a side street. It was very busy. And the sidewalks are very uneven where we were. And there was a low hanging branch. And I ducked oh, and my wig caught it. It caught my wig, went, flew off my head and like hung in the tree. Oh my God. And then slowly floated down to the oh. ground and my brother calls me cone so he's like cone get the wig get the wig so i get the wig and i'm putting it on my head and i'm trying to smooth it because you know if you if you have never worn a wig before they don't look on like what people think they look at they're like oh, like 
bad sex hair, right? So it's like all over the place. So I am <laughs> pushing, I'm pulling all my hair down and I'm looking in this Jeep Cherokee, in the window of a Jeep Cherokee. I remember like doing this. Uh-huh. I laughed, I laughed so hard and my family was like, like they could not believe it. They were so upset for me, but I was cracking up. Well, so it's think, your attitude, right? Because yeah. God, I'm laughing at the thought, but going through it would be a, a very different story. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. It was, you know, there was a lot of funny things. Like I really couldn't stand the fact that my hair was coming out. And what happened was my daughter was eight and shaved my head. That's a very, it was a very emotional thing that she did for me. But afterwards, like you, when you shave your head, I didn't shave it down to like, like a man being bald. Right. It was, you still had a little hair there. So it would come out every day. Hey, and I'd be like, how many friggin' hairs has Connie lost today? And I look at my pillow and it looked like some guy shaved and went, you know what I mean? It was yeah. all over my pillow. So it was driving me crazy. And my ex-husband at the time had gotten me a Dyson. And I'm oh. like, I wonder if this Dyson is strong enough to take the hair off my head. Oh my God. So imagine <laughs> this. The tubing is clear. Okay. Right. I'm in my bathroom and all I could think of is, oh my God, if anyone could see me right now, like they would die. So I had it and I was like on my head and I'm doing this. And, and what happens is it was, you know how it gets caught in something and it goes, right? So my skin was like inside the tube. I could see it lifting my skin. Oh. It didn't work. I was going to write to the Dyson guy. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. So I ended up getting a straight razor and just shaving my head down. So no dice. So say no to no Dyson, Dyson to get your hair out. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, I'm not sure that I would have been that creative about it. I must have had too much time on my hands. I don't know. I know. I think I it's know. awesome. And I think your attitude was awesome. Your website, the get your rack back, gyrb.org. Yep. You support cancer patients and their families. So obviously you went through this experience and this is to help other people going through the experience. Right. Um, you want so to go back in time and talk about the struggle and then wrap up with, with get your rack back or yeah, do you just want to jump in? Okay. Absolutely. Because you, you did get divorced the same I year did. you found out you had cancer. So I did. You have a seven and an eight year old at that time. Yep. So I had a seven and eight year old at the time and no family up here. So really my friends were, you know, amazing to me and really helped me get through it. So if it hadn't been for them, you know, it would have been really difficult. They would go pick my kids up after their after school program. And mind you, I'm still working from home. So I was still, I didn't take any time off. I took like a week off when I had my mastectomies, but I even worked when I had chemo. Like I would sit with my laptop and do webinars while I sat and got chemo. So I didn't really take any downtime. And I was very fortunate because so many people don't have the ability to maintain their job while they're ill. Like it's just too physically taxing to, to do it. So I think about it and I was really fortunate. Like sometimes things just happen in the right time, right place in your life. And if I hadn't had that job, I would have really struggled if I had to get up every morning and go to an office because it was, you know, I was not feeling well, tired. And my, my boss would call and I'd be like, I'm taking a nap. He's like, no problem. So rarely can you find that in any employment. So I was very fortunate in that. So I was in the chemo chair one day and one of my friends from high school was having meals delivered to me. And like the pizza hut guy came to my door one day and I'm, I answered and I'm like, sorry, I didn't order any food. And he came back again, rings the doorbell. And, and he said, are you Connie Bramer? And I said, yes. He said, well, this is for you. So one of my friends had been having food, like when they had pasta and salad and like those things with the, the chocolate drizzle on them, the dessert breadsticks or whatever. So my kids were like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, they were like, woo. So um, it got me thinking, you know, there's got to be a way that we can do this on a grander scale for more people. So I was sitting there bald with my little pink cap on and I was thinking about what if I raise money, got some restaurants to be part of what I wanted to do and have like a certificate, a voucher, if you will, for, for patients with a number on it with a bunch of participating restaurants. So I went about getting the restaurants. No one wanted to do it. No one wanted to get, do a 
certificate where they would, I would, they would bill me, I would pay them. Like I even was saying, I'll give you my credit card. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just, as, as long as I have the money that I've raised. So that fell flat on his face. So I was like, okay, I got to go about this a different angle. So we decided, well, I decided in, in 2012, I wrote my book. I had a book launch party and I wanted to thank my family and friends for sticking it out with me. So I had about a hundred people and I said, you know what, I'm in business. I'm going to turn it into a fundraiser. So I turned it into a fundraiser. We raised $4,600 and I gave it to the American Cancer Society making strides against breast cancer. Then I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it again. So I did it next, the following year, 2013, we raised like $10,400 and we um, supplied scientists with four, we had four weeks of breast cancer research that we funded. Wow. Okay. Okay. So then the following year I raised even more money and split it between two organizations. And then finally I said, you know, I want to know the people we're helping, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I want to know that if someone gives me money and they live in my County, it's going to a patient in my County or in their account. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that like the money that comes in goes right back out. No one's paid, you know, mm -hmm. it's volunteer. So anyway, I, st I thought about it. I'm like, I want to start it. And, I, and my kids, I said, you know, what should we name it? And my son's like, mom, everyone knows she has to get your act back lady. So let's just call it get your act back. The misnomer in that name is that we help all cancer patients men, women, and children with all types of cancers. So it's not just breasts. So that's kind of why we coined it GYRB instead of like get your act back. But that's where the name came from. So I put all my paperwork in to become a nonprofit. And I had a little scare because I thought I found a lump on my chest and it turned out that I had had pneumonia. And well, I knew I had pneumonia. <laughs> but I had pneumonia and I coughed so hard that my implant inverted on the edge so it looked it felt like a lump so he said you're fine well anyway my, my surgeon was telling me about this patient of his who had passed she was 30 she had two little kids and she had to work to, to provide for her family or she could have chemo she couldn't do both because she couldn't she wasn't going to get paid she worked at Panera or something so anyway she chose not to have treatment because she wanted she needed to work so she'd passed and then, you know, left with two little kids. And then I don't remember her name and it's terrible. I should remember her name, but her um, husband committed suicide a few months later because he was just overwhelmed. And now these kids are parentless and living with their grandparents. And I thought we can't have this. Oh so I God. went, I went back to my attorney and I said, can we add medical copayment assistance to what we're doing? So we, he did, it delayed my becoming a 501c3 for a few months. And what the craziest thing is, when the IRS and the AG's office deemed Get Your Rack Back a nonprofit, it was my mom's birthday mm -hmm. of all the days of the year. So I, I knew that was a sign of really wonderful things to come for us. So to date, we've helped about 260 cancer patients with $500 in services each. So what happens is I work with nurse navigators and social workers at all the oncology and off and in uh, hospitals, oncologists and, oncologists and office, offices and uh, hospital. And I ask them specific questions like, you know, I need to know the diagnosis. Tell me about the patient and their family and their circumstances. So I get them all gift cards or what they need. No two people really get the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I write them all a personal note. And I write that because I got a lot of letters from people who I didn't even know, like a friend of a friend of a friend said, oh, my friend's got breast cancer, so, you know, sent me, a, sent me a message, a, you know, a card. And it meant a lot to me. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to write to these people and I want to know what stage cancer they have because I'm not going to write the same thing to a stage one that I would write to a stage four, you know? So sometimes it's been difficult. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've lost three patients that I really got to know. And I've, I try very hard not to get to know these people, but, and I know that sounds awful to say that, you no, know, it doesn't. It, it, I don't know how oncology offices, you know, my oncologists, the nurses, I don't know how they do it because it was, I lost a 26 year old who has a two year old daughter. She's actually in my video. And her name is Sammy. And that just about devastated me. I lost another woman, Ellen, that I did a fashion show with. And, you know, I've tried, I try to involve myself in the community, 
with the, you know, with what I'm doing as far as the community of cancer patients. And I was speaking to someone else who's a cancer patient, who is a survivor also. And, and let me just say, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're a survivor right then, mm-hmm. right? It's not like when, do the, when you're cancer free, you're a survivor because you're living with it or you're getting rid of it. So you're a survivor. But I was talking to another survivor and he told me, he says, like, I've lost so many people and it's really hard to cope with that. You know, so that's why I try to write about funny things because you have to have a balance of the humor and the sadness. You know, my board is always saying to me, like, are you, are you okay? Because there's a lot of things that I go through with these people, but we've helped 260 people and we just had our Christmas stocking drive and we have stuffed and delivered in the last five years, over 2000 holiday stockings to kids affected by cancer. So either they have cancer, a sibling or their parents. So we just got done with that. We delivered almost 430 this last week. I mean, you're talking about something that's really scary. Just the word, just saying the word cancer is scary right. and, and people surviving with it. I can't believe that you were able, I mean, I'm, I understand part of it was your job, but also part of it was your ability to work even the job that you had, you know, that you were able to do all of that and keep it together while you had chemo. Cause I, you hear horror stories about what this does to people. Yeah. The chemo, the radiation, the surgeries. <clears throat> Can we jump back before your diagnosis and how that went? Because you got, you ended up completely unrelated getting divorced before you found out about your cancer. You had no idea. So how did you, so you just went through a pretty big thing that for a lot of people is relatively traumatic. You have kids, you get divorced. There's a lot to work out. And it was only a few months later that you found out you had cancer and how, because you weren't that, how old were you? I was 39. 39. So 39. how did you find, that's not normally when you start getting mammograms. Well, I had been getting mammograms because my mom, mom. passed away. My, right. I'm the fourth generation in my family. Oh, so my, God. Mom, okay, my so. mom, my mom was diagnosed at 47, died at 53. My grandmother died at 54 and my great grandmother died at 60 of breast cancer. And they're, and they're like, I think my grandmother was diagnosed at 52, died at 54. So, was, so every generation has been younger. Oh God. Okay. So you're, you are getting them. Yeah. So I, so I was actually contemplating having my breasts removed prophylactically. And I was, and that actually the summer before I got divorced and my ex-husband said, you are being ridiculous. Like this is like, why are you inviting trouble? Like you don't need to do it. And I'm like, I saw what my mother went through and I definitely, I mean, my mother had cancer the entire time. Like she never was in remission ever. It was horrible. So, and she died when I was 26 and my brother was 23 and she missed out on everything, you know, like, and I missed out on her. My kids never met her. She never met my kids. It's, you know, it was a struggle. So I thought, you know what? I want to be proactive. So I ended up just not wanting to be married anymore. And it was for a multitude of reasons, but one being that I just was doing it all by myself anyway. So why not do it by myself and have less aggravation? He put me through a lot and uh, it was a really tumultuous divorce. Like it was awful, like restraining order. There's a lot of stuff that went on. And my dad to this day thinks that like the stress of my divorce really brought my cancer on. And I think, you know, I talked to a few people who have read about precursor, like everyone's got cancer cells in their body. Everybody does. It's just whether or not they proliferate. proliferate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes there's an, an act or something on your body that makes it, makes it proliferate and makes you have cancer. And sometimes it can be stress. Like one of my friends thinks it was her Lyme disease that brought it on. So everyone has different stories. I don't know if that's the case. I was always looking over my shoulder for it to come. I'm not going to lie. You know, you know, like the history kind of talks, you know, tells you that, you know, with my mom passing away and stuff. So anyway, I got divorced and started this new job, luckily, um, where I was working out of a, a company for, out of California where I was able to work from home. So that was really great in the, cause I was, run, I was running my own business before I, when, when I was getting divorced. 
And then I thought I need to have a steady paycheck mm-hmm. for my kids. So I got this job and I was really lucky to have it because I don't know how I would have worked. It was, there were days I just slept. And I remember my oncologist, he would prescribe me a bunch of things and I'd say, well, what can I take? He goes, take it all. So I would just take it all and I slept. So I would strategically have my chemo right before they went to their dads. So like, you don't, with the chemo, I had two different kinds of chemotherapy, actually three. So the first set I had was really unbelievably difficult. It's called adriamycin cytoxin. And these nurses come over and literally like hazmat suits, right? And I have a, I had a port. So they come over and I'm like, why are you wearing all this stuff? And they're like, well, we can't get it on our skin. I'm like, great, just throw it in my veins, right? So they don't tell you. They don't, I don't know why they didn't tell me, but it felt like I had ants in my pants, ants in my hair. And my friend is sitting there with me and she's like, what is going on with you? I go, I don't know. I, like, I feel really weird. And then the nurse goes, oh, do you feel like you have ants in your pants? I'm like, yeah. Like it would have been nice to know that, right? So I journaled about my cancer in my online blog, which was off of the Caring Bridge website, which is what became my book. So I write about all these things that happened to me Mm. and like that happened. And then, you know, I wrote about the difficult times around my blog. So when I wrote my book, like all my, all my blog posts are kind of Pollyanna-ish, you know, snarky, you know? Okay. Okay. Like my, like my oncologist said to me, Oh, how was your chemo? I said, well, if I'd had an astronaut pill in case I got lost in space, I would have taken it hands down. He goes, astronauts have pills I'm like do you live under a rock so like we laughed I laughed about it a lot and I was really smart assy so when I went back and wrote my book I wrote about the pain around like the real story how I was feeling so I wrote all of that and then when I was done with my chemo and done with everything and wrote my book I stopped well before I wrote my book when I was done with chemo and I was done with my surgeries I stopped writing And my one friend, Renee, said to me, you know what? I really think if you put all of this into a book, it would help a lot of people. It's like, eh, I don't know. So I thought about it. And then I thought, you know what? If I'm going to write it, I'm going to write it for me to bury my cancer in the backyard and just be done with the whole damn thing and just like, you know, see you later, cancer. So I took about a year, not two months, (laughs) a year (laughs) (laughs) write my book and my kids were nine and 10 at the time. And I'd say, unless you two are bleeding and dying, don't bother me while I write for like an hour or whatever. So I would write, I wrote the majority of my book on a week's vacation in Florida. And then I found out from people who've gotten my book that it has really served as kind of an, a, uh, an owner's manual, if you will, for getting through cancer. So I think that that's been the best gift of all of it. Like I wanted to just get rid of it. It was very cathartic for me to write it. But then I realized, you know, looking ahead, it's helped a lot of patients and it's helped a lot of, you know, husbands and wives and siblings, you know, to understand what their loved one's going through. Cause there's no owner's manual for that either. Yeah, no, I imagine that would be awful. You had a tumultuous divorce. Did your husband, was he supportive? (laughs) What happened once you actually, you found out you had cancer? I think he thought he was going to get back in. Oh, no. He he thought, he's like, oh, you know, I can come back home. Like, no, I'm good. So I, you know what? It's, it's okay. Like people say, oh, you went through it alone. I had friends, like nobody's business. And you know, and when, when the chips are down, you really find out who your true friends are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, there was someone who lived across the street from me who I thought would have done anything for me because we always, you know, had dinners together. The kids played together with her kids. And not once during my entire treatment did she like reach out and say, Hey, can I, you know, bring the, have the kids come over, have them come across the street and make them dinner. Or can I do anything for you? She just like disappeared. And that's one thing I find from a lot of cancer patients that I speak to that they have like one or two friends that just can't deal with it and just disappear. Well, yeah, that sucks. It, that, it does suck. That sucks. I mean, I think a lot of times for people in lots of different situations, and this one's scarier because we're all terrified that it's going to be us. It you some 
some people don't know how to respond or they're so afraid of right. the whole situation, not making excuses or justifications. I just think it's really sad because the best thing you could do is just say, I'm scared and I'm freaked out and I actually don't know how to respond. So what can I do that will make right. a difference to you? I just wondered if right. through a tumultuous divorce, was he actually helpful with the kids and with you and supportive and he took the kids when he had to, when he took the kids, like I just worked my entire treatment regime and my, okay. my, my, um, surgeries around the schedule. Like we had a very strict kid schedule and I did everything that I could to strategically place these things, especially the chemo. My kids never saw me get sick. They saw me sleeping a lot, but they never saw me you know, praying to the porcelain goddess, which I had done, you know, so yeah. they never saw that part of it. They just remember, you know, mom was bald. We ate a shit ton of Stouffer's mac and cheese because that was like <laughs> the only thing I wanted to eat. And I would like cook it to death. So it would be crunchy on top and I put yeah, it back in yeah. the microwave. So crunchy on top. And that was basically all we ate. And when people would bring us dinner, my kids were like, yes, it's something other than mac and cheese. So, you know, they don't really remember much of what I went through and he wasn't really a great help. I mean, okay. He just was, he didn't, he didn't offer any more than he was able to offer. If that makes any sense. It does. And I just wondered sometimes when it, things are really shitty and then something like this comes up, the person actually steps up to the plate and does better than they ever done before. I was hoping for something, but yeah, no, no. I mean, that's, that's fine. So you, I would have done the same thing. I would have, I, I, they found two lumps in my left breast a few years ago, like 10 years ago. And of course you're terrified. Yeah. I didn't feel them. I couldn't feel them. It hadn't, I had had mammograms since I was 33. You know, this is almost 10 years later. And I was lucky that the doctor called in an ultrasound mm -hmm. and it was only a day later. And then the radiologist came and talked to me like, the, the woman did the thing, the ultrasound on my breast. And then the doctor actually came in and sat down and I met him something totally related years, years later. And I was like, God, where do I know this guy from? And when I figured it out, I was like, dude, I want to tell you the best thing anybody ever did was you that day walking into that room and saying, look, instead of me waiting three days and telling your doctor and your doctor mm -hmm. calling you and you spending all of this time stressing, I'm just going to sit down right now and tell you what I see. Best thing he ever did. And he said, it doesn't look like cancer. I don't know what it is. It doesn't look like anything else either. And so a couple things can happen. We can, we have to monitor it. So you'll be back here to see me in six months and I'll talk to you the exact same way and we'll figure it out. And if there's any growth, they need to be removed. Well, that's how I was diagnosed off of an ultrasound. So I went and had a mammogram because I was getting them done since my daughter was born. I think I was when I was 30 or 31. Okay, I started. Okay. So I had a mammogram. I was on the phone with work with someone from work, one of my car dealers, mm -hmm. and it was like 445 on a Friday. They called me and this is the message I got. And my real name is Constance. I always know I'm getting in trouble when I hear that. But it's like, <laughs> Constance, this is such and such doctor's office. Um, we need to do a follow-up mammogram as soon as possible. And our earliest time is Wednesday at 9 o'clock, whatever. Left that message for me on a Friday at 4.45. So I'm like shitting my pants all yeah. weekend. Yeah. Like, like I, was, I was furious. And actually... I lost my mind on them and they changed their policy. They don't give any results on Fridays now because I lost my shit. So, Good. and I mean, I lost it. I go, you know that I have a history and you leave me this message. I mean, I like didn't sleep. It was horrible. So anyway, I went for my mammogram with the second one. And then, you know, they're like, we need to do more pictures. I'm like, Jesus. Like, it's like never ending, like the tip pancake, you know? So, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not that awful, but it's not great either. Well, yes. it, it, well, it isn't great because they were trying to get like up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened, what, what precluded all of this actually was I had felt something here. Like I was sleeping like in on a Sunday morning and I felt something right here. And I'm like, it like hurt. And people say, oh, breast cancer doesn't hurt. And then my one friend said, oh, it's probably fibrocystic. I'm like, I haven't had fibrocystic breasts the whole time I've been alive. So, yeah, right. you know, I don't know. So anyway, 
I went to the, um, went, right, what time did you went? And I, I ended up having like my annual that Wednesday, like the day that I found it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, yep, you know yep. I found it on a Sunday, that Wednesday. If I hadn't, I would have been like, oh, the hell with it. I'll just like let it go, right? So I dick around all the time and I don't do stuff when I'm supposed to. And I only had my mammogram like eight months before. So it wasn't okay. even like a year, right? So okay. that was clear. Right. So I go have that mammogram. Then I get the second one that Wednesday, the 19th of November. And then I'm diagnosed off of a, um, off of an ultrasound. Yeah. So the, the girl that I called, you know, chatty Kathy is like chatting it up with me while she's doing the lubing me up and everything. And then she's like quiet. I'm like, what the hell? Like, she's like not saying anything. She was all serious. She goes, I need, I'll, I'll be right back. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, holy shit. Like, is this what's going to happen? Like, is this, is this the day? Is this the day? So the radiologist comes in and she goes, I'm sorry to tell you, like she, she's doing things and she's looking really hard. And I'm like, it took forever. And then she said, I'm sorry to tell you this. I'm 99% sure this is breast cancer. And I'm like, shut up. And she goes, no, I'm very serious. So I get in the car and I'm thinking, I might be that 1%. And I'm like okay, driving home, right. right? And I'm thinking, God, I gotta be the 1%. Like, how the hell can this happen to me right now? I'm like, just divorced, I'm alone, I have two kids. Like, how am I gonna deal with it? And it happened to be how it was. I was just thankful. I mean, you know, when you have that three days to wait between the mammogram and the ultrasound and the whole time, yeah. you're like, I'm not gonna freak out, I'm not gonna freak out, but I'm totally freaking out. And then I, I was just so grateful that the radiologist talked to me. and. He was like, if you want to be aggressive and do a biopsy, we can, but it does not look like cancer. That's if you good. want them removed because it bothers you to have them there, we can do that. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said that some wow. women who have lumps that are not malignant mm-hmm. just are so uncomfortable that they're there. I'm like, nah, I'll probably name them and stuff. It's all cool. Selma <laughs> and Louise. Oh my God. So I did. I had to go in every six months for two years. And after two years, I'm like, is, you know, even waiting that six months, I didn't think about, it's not like every day you're terrified, but it's, it's sizzling on the back burner of your mind, you know? And I went in and they're like, there's no change. And I'm like, okay, so I'll come back another six months. And that two years was just stressful. Not like your stressful was, but because it was, it's fear of the unknown and the what if, and what if, what if right. it goes this six months and the end of two years, he's like, there's been no changes and it does not look like cancer. It doesn't look like a cyst. It doesn't look like anything. Do you want them removed? And I'm like, no, like literally Thelma and Louise live on. And then yeah. I went back to my annual and it's been like eight years since then. And now because it's the same radiologist department, they just, they know Thelma and Louise are there. So it's a normal for me because mm-hmm. nothing has changed, but God damn, it's so terrifying. My aunt had breast cancer. My adopt, my adoptive mom had breast cancer. So she was a little older and she had her, one of her breasts completely removed and she did not want to have reconstructive surgery. My aunt did. It looked fucking awesome. Her boobs looked great afterwards. Really? After she had, she had reconstruction. Yeah. Well, she had one yeah. removed and they reconstructed yeah. it and they had to kind of reconstruct the other one. Cause you know, yeah. Yeah, they didn't do an implant in her other one. They just kind of like lift and tuck and move things around so that they looked closer to the same. It looked amazing. So well, I was shocked. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, when I went to my plastic surgeon, you know, sometimes they take fat, they do like a tram flap or something where they take some fat and muscle and create a breast from your own tissue. And he said to me at the time, it goes, you know, you're too skinny. And now I'm not, but he's like, you're too skinny. And I'm like, I'm too skinny. Somebody said I'm too skinny. And I was like, okay, Connie, calm down. Like, that's not that great. So (laughs) I had to have the implants done, but a lot of patients ask me, they say, you know, I have one. And I was like, I want them both off. And before I even, even Mm -hmm. said I had two spots in my left breast, one that was like farther in, it was freaking horrible with that needle. But anyway, um, my doctor said, I want to, we're going to take them both. And I'm like, fine with me. That's what I was going to say. So a lot of people have the option. Some people don't have the option. They don't even allow you to take the other one off, but some people have called me and said, you know, if they always talk to me, like a a nurse will call me and say, Hey, will you talk to Susie Q? Because she wants to talk about, you know, what, what's next for her. So this woman asked me, you know, should I have them both removed or one? 
Hmm. And I said, I would have them both because one, you don't have to worry about the other shoe dropping and two, you're going to be even. So I have one friend who's not even, and it's yeah. been a struggle. Like she really struggles. And I'm, I struggle because my one side had like basically divots because we, because what happened was when I had one, the staph infection and was the one yep. to the wonder for months, the pocket <laughs> on this side, like came down. And then when I got my yep. other one in, I was like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all my surgeries have been like this, like, you know, trying to get them to be even. So because I had so much scar tissue, like my skin was like adhering to it. So I had fat, yay, taken from my stomach and put into the tissue on my breast to fill it in. So I wish you could have taken everything off. I don't know. I said, can't you just get that hose and just freaking do a twirl all the way around my body? He's like, no. He's like, no, you'd be laid up for a very long time. So I didn't uh, do that. But well, I, you know what's a tough decision? I knew when they found the two lumps and I had to wait three days for the ultrasound that I was going to get everything removed. Yeah. And the person that I was with at the time, my boyfriend at the time, ex boyfriend said really i'm shocked because you're so vain and i remember feeling like so bitch slapped okay yeah that that might be true to a degree i want to stay healthy i want to stay in good shape i like running all of those things but you're talking about life and death like do my right. boobs look better but i'm dead and i was just like uh yeah you know what as vain as you may think i am that's gonna go totally out the window if i have to choose between living or boobs right. gone. gone and a lot of and a lot of women say i don't want them removed I, exactly and, and you know like, what we're all different right no well, i would have you, done the same when, thing when you said you enjoy running the only time i run is when i'm being chased <laughs> So I'm already sick anyway. Yeah. That's all right. It's just it. I mean, there are there are so many choices to make on the whole thing, and it's got to depend a lot on the cancer and the treatment mm -hmm. and a lot of things. Tell me, take me through those the 13 surgeries because I know I understand. If you had waited to do the reconstruction later, would there be less of a chance of infection? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, the 13 surgeries. One of them was to get my ovaries out because my cancer was linked to ovarian. Okay. So I had my ovaries out. Um, I had, they found some nodules on my thyroid mm -hmm. and um, my doctors, you know, this is like every time I went somewhere, I would feel like, what is the bad news today? Like yeah. there's always some shit happening. So I went to the oncologist and he's like, listen, we have another issue. We found some nodules on your thyroid. It might be thyroid cancer. So I want to get that removed, but let's get you through chemo first. I'm like, joy, this is fucking awesome. So I went through all the chemo and, oh, I got to tell you, I have to remind me to tell you a chemo story. So anyway, um, what was I talking about? Thyroid. <laughs> thyroid. Chemo. I, so, so I had the thyroid out. I had, the, I had half my thyroid out. So I'm not on any thyroid medicine. I only have half. Okay. Um, I have my ovaries out and then the other 11 are all related to reconstruction. Like, like one was like, one, the one was boob, you know, boob removal. Um, I had dye contrast put in this arm. I lost 22 lymph nodes in this arm. So one of the things I'm always worried about is lymphedema. I've been very lucky, knock on wood, that I haven't had lymphedema because I don't know if you've seen that. It's just people really struggle with that. So I've been very fortunate with that. And, um, yeah, all re they were all reconstruction, a lot of reconstruction. And one of my reconstructive surgeries, he goes, let's do this under a local. So he's got like the, the blue thing over my face and I can't stand have my face covered. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So he goes, I'm getting ready to do something. And I felt the whole thing. I like felt it. I'm like, oh my God, I feel this. So he kept putting more pain meds in and he goes, you know, we probably should have done this under anesthesia. I'm like, you think? You know, it was so painful. So I, from that point on, I did all, you know, under anesthesia type of things. But the one thing that, you know, people don't understand a lot about is that the cost of having a, a major illness, cancer or whatever it is, is so cumbersome and overwhelming financially. So my cancer treatment 
because of what my deductibles were, cost me about $36,000. It took me, you know, with my divorce, which I paid for, getting rid of him was the best $13,000 I ever spent. But I spent all this money and it took me a few years to pay back my cancer, my cancer treatment. But there are people who can't do it. You know, like I, I talked to this one woman who worked as a, in, I don't know if it was a postal worker, UPS, something like that, where she had to be able to lift stuff. She lost her job because she couldn't perform her duties because of her breast cancer surgery. So there's a lot of people that are really struggling, which is why when I stopped founding my foundation, I went back and did the, um, you know, the medical copayment assistance because people are yep. really struggling. And $500 isn't like the biggest deal ever, but it gives people a little bit of a lift. And I had a breast cancer patient a few months ago who didn't want to schedule her radiation. Her radiation was 60 bucks, her, her, her copay is $60. So $300 a week for six weeks. So she didn't want to book it until she knew we were going to give her $500 to pay for almost her whole week. How awful is that? Like that shit is like legit happening right now. If it were me, I would be in the same situation. I yeah. mean, there's not even a question about it. Our daughter went to the ER a year ago and it's still not paid off because it yeah. was just so, ex it was so expensive and all the tests afterwards and all the, I mean, everything. So yeah, I mean, we're still, we put a whole bunch on the credit card and yeah. our, we're paying that off. And then, you know, you pay, you pay up every single person that's charging you, which is like 50. You don't, you know, oh, like, oh my right. God, like who's right. this person now? And I know. So, yeah, I mean, so I had a hysterectomy along when I was 33 and I, it was like $36,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my cancer treatment, probably all of it. I can't even imagine. Half a, half a million probably. Yeah. I, I cannot even imagine. So your co I used to, have to go every other week. Your copay was low. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I, well, I did not have, yeah. Well, that was like, I had coinsurance. So I didn't, I was luckily didn't have a copay because every time I went, they just billed my insurance. I paid like the rest I could pay per month. But now when people have a copay, like right now I've got a $60 copay for a specialist. Yeah. So if something happened to me, I'm screwed because yeah. you, you live at the doctor's office, you know? So anyway, I'm going to tell you a quick chemo story. Chemo story. Chemo story. So this one nurse <clears throat> was a total rag picker at my oncology <gasps> office. So I was wearing a white shirt, which was stupid, okay? Because I had my port, like, I don't know if you can see my scar. See my yep, scar? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. I always laugh that my oncologist was like, I had a tracker in it to say I was at Macy's or drinking vodka somewhere. But um, <laughs> she went to put um, betadine on it or iodine or whatever mm -hmm. on it. It's like dripping, you know? So I grabbed the gauze and I went like that. And she goes, you can't touch that. You can end up, you know, having bacteria get in your whatever. I go, how about you just wipe it so it doesn't ruin my blouse? You know, like some people, I think, I don't think she's there anywhere, but some people are just so impervious to other people, mm. you know, and, and like, like, if you're around that so much, I can see that you wouldn't be as sympathetic always. And like that story, like that really bothered me a lot. And I wrote about that in my book, but, um, I, my kids have learned through my journey that people have difficult days and you don't know what is behind that. So always be kind. My mom had a saying when she was alive that I try to live my life by, and it is always leave people better for having known you. So is, is someone better for having known you if they have one interaction with you, if you open a, a door for them, if you smiled at a cashier who was having a shitty day and you knew it because you could hear her when she's talking, right? I'm out of here in 45 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and that happens, but you don't know what's behind that. Like, I said to my kids, like, so my son said to me one, he said, mom, she's having a bad day. I go, you know what? You don't know what's going on at home for her. So no, I the understanding. You do. And I remember hearing something somewhere years ago about how, you know, you're in the checkout of a store and someone asks how you are and you're having a shitty day and you're like, I'm great. How are you? And then you get home and you unleash on your family and, yeah. and, and how 
the people that you love the most shouldn't get your worst. That doesn't mean you unleash at the checkout either. But right. like when you're the one having a bad day, just to remember that nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. So you That's don't need right. to be artificially nice and you need to remember not to unleash your shit on other people too. But, and I can understand at, to some degree being somewhat impervious, but insensitivity is completely different. Yeah, and, that's true. Right. And that's ridiculous. I want to talk about <clears throat> the photo, um, the, the gallery that you have on the website. You did, you do golf tournaments that raise money. Yes. You have your yep. Christmas stuff. You have a, you have galas. Gala, gala. Yep. I've got it. My gala is coming up on May 16th in Clifton Park, New York at the Hilton Garden Inn. And then we have our golf tournament. I haven't picked the date for that yet, but that will be at um, Van Patten Golf Course. And then our, our event that's really becoming bigger and awesome is the Diamonds in December event. One of my friends who's on the board, her name is Michelle Hoff. She and her husband, Eric, own Hoff Jewelers. And she was so great. They were so gracious this year in putting a beautiful piece of jewelry in 120 boxes. One of them had a $2,000 diamond necklace in it. So how our diamonds in December works is that's our only fundraiser is this box. So it's 50 bucks a box and it has a minimum of $35, $40 piece of jewelry in it. And everyone buys their boxes. They can't touch their box. Like they can't take it. They have to leave it there. They pick their number. They write their name on the thing. And then at like a certain time, like 10 of nine, I'll call people up and I'm like, don't shake your box. You know, like we laugh about it. But anyway, we open it up at like, I do a countdown. We open up all the boxes together and then someone's like, woo, you know, I won the, the necklace. So it, it's a lot of fun and that helped me raise enough money to help 12 cancer patients because it was 120 um, boxes. But we do that and that's getting such a following. Cause it's, yeah, a holiday, it's a holiday thing. It's a pretty decent price point. I always have good food. I always have lots of cocktails. And if you leave, you know, hungry or without a buzz, that's your problem. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> I'm like, I could come out for that. I'm originally from yeah. Rhode Island. My grandma's in New Hampshire. Yeah, I am. Yeah. We're, we're New Englanders. New so Englanders. tell me, how do people get involved? You have, you have the, the ability to get involved. People can donate. Right. Um, I also, mm -hmm. people can always, you know, sponsor a patient. You know, okay. I just had a friend of mine that sponsored a patient, which that was, that's $500, which was wonderful. It's going to a woman this week who has colon cancer. So um, that was pretty awesome. And it doesn't always have to be money. You know, um, time helps people who donate their time, especially for that stocking stuffer event I had. We stuffed and delivered all those stockings. It was a lot of work. And we had a lot of volunteers, which was fantastic. Last year, we did more stockings because we gave some to another organization. But I didn't do my gal this past year in 2019, so I had to kind of dial it in and only do our cancer patients. And I had picked up a couple more doctor's offices. And, and when I started, I had two doctor's offices and now we've grown to 19. Holy so it's, it's been, yeah, it's a lot of growth and I have to say to people, okay, send me one for next month. Like I'll get people, they're in like a queue. Yep. So I'm getting through the queue right now because we just had our fundraiser and I do a lot of Facebook um, fundraisers. Like I did one for my 50th birthday and that helps almost four cancer patients. So that was pretty awesome. So people can get involved by, um, you know, buying my book, spreading the word about what we're trying to do. And I guess really my message, if I wanted to talk about that, is that, you know, you got to have a sense of humor to get through things in your life. You can't always be looking at a glass half, half full, you know, or half empty, rather. I'm saying that wrong. Half empty is half full. And you always need to find the humor in things. And one thing I always message my cancer patients is how critical it is to keep a gratitude journal. And oh, I yes. had one when I was going through my treatment. And unfortunately, I had a flood in my basement a couple years ago, so I lost it, which sucks. But I would, when I was having a shitty day, I would go and, and look through it. And I remember one day was just horrible. I was so sick, and I wrote, well, I wrote three things every night before I went to bed. One, woke up. Two, didn't puke all day. Three, had milk for the kid's cereal. So they can be stupid like that, 
and then it grew to like, I'm thankful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that my kids are healthy. It just puts you in a, living a life of gratitude puts you in a positive mindset, especially if you do it before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. I agree. I teach yeah. that in public speaking. I do a public speaking on compounding joy and actually Sean Anchor has a program um, for happiness, uh, success with um, corporate. So the success is that you're happy. And that was one of the things and I didn't know that there was science behind it, but we've always done with the kids at dinner where they, they, it's called high low. I called it high low where they shared three things that were really one thing that was maybe not good about their day and three highs, three good things. I like that. And we did that. And what, and I always tell people just write down three things, bullet point it takes you two minutes. And right. his science is actually two minutes for 21 days. And it's not about forming a habit. It's about your brain looking, your brain will start to search for the things that are positive. If you just do That's three right. bullet points, you write three bullet points down two minutes for 21 days. It retrains your brain to look for the positive. So you inadvertently and I inadvertently were doing that without, you know, you just don't realize it. But once I learned the science behind it, it was like, God, anybody can take two minutes to find three new things a day, even right. if it's milk for the kids' cereal. It doesn't matter what they are. It's three right. things you're grateful for. So I love that. Connie, thank you so much for being on. No, today. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.